Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two very cool co-hosts. Nate Heininger. And Laura Nash. And this is our third episode of IF Comp 2019 coverage. This will probably be our last IF Comp episode before the end of the comp. Sometimes we like to loop back after the conclusion of the comp and talk about what won and how everything placed and kind of wrap up. But uh, this will be sort of our final episode of impressions on the games of the comp. Obviously, we will. We have not had time to play every game, and certainly won't have time to cover every game in the massive list of IFCOM games. Uh, if you happen to be coming in right now, uh, we did a quick explanation of what is IFCOM, and also talked a little bit about how our approach to the coverage works in our first IFCOM episode a few weeks back. And this one will just be wrapping up a few more games that we've played. Uh, we certainly haven't played everything, like I said, uh, but uh, we've played some more interesting stuff that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, like always, it's been a fantastic IF comp. I'm excited to talk about the games we're talking about today and uh, wrap up the coverage. It's been fun. And there were so many choices this year. I think one of the best things that uh, we've found is once it starts getting towards the end, we can start looking at other people's reviews and kind of what people are talking about. So if you posted a review anywhere on the internet before we recorded, chances are someone scanned it. Uh, so thank you guys all for participating in the community. It really helps us decide what we might be into. So we can choose from the, what, like 85 entries this year? Yeah, yeah it's a lot. It's a lot to uh, to go through. And uh, I, I do really enjoy that aspect of the comp, the sort of community that's built around it. Um, and uh, speaking of community, before we dive into talking about games, I want to say also a thank you to our patrons. Uh, we are supported by our patrons on Patreon. Uh, if you enjoyed our IF Comp coverage, we would love to have you as a patron. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash theshortgame or theshortgame.net and click our Patreon link up at the top of the page. Um, and for $1 a month, uh, you can support the show. Uh, of course, we, we're happy to have whatever support you're interested in giving, but everyone who supports the show at the $1 a month level or higher gets access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the games we're playing. And we usually talk about IF Comp, you know, well into the post-comp season. And we'll probably be talking about some of the other uh, cool happenings in the interactive fiction community there as well. So we are uh, excited to have folks uh, joining us there. And uh, thanks so much to everybody who has. What is better interactive fiction than interacting with us except it's not fiction because we're real people we <laughs> promise I, I know i really <laughs> stretched for that one that was a I good was, stretch nate i, I do was, appreciate a real i feel like i should have like, workshopped yeah it's a real high stretch there i should have workshopped that a little bit more um but yeah, that's what the discord is for that's what the that's what the discord's for yeah. <laughs> workshop your jokes in advance mate <laughs> that's a good point um yeah so We've played a few games that we wanted to talk about on this episode, and I think, Laura, uh, would you like to start? Sure. I want to start off with Chuck and the Arena by a person whose name I'm going to butcher, uh, Agnieszka Traska, I believe. Um, but it's a puzzle game, and it's in Twine, so it's my first puzzle game at the comp that wasn't a parser. So you actually get to click on things. It's choice-based, um, and it is a lighthearted science fiction story that's actually got a really earnest bent to it. So often when I play puzzle games, it's just goofs on goofs on goofs. This one, the premise is that you play Chuck, which is a little alien named a griffin, and your only power is to change your skin color. And of course, your ability to solve puzzles and be smarter than everyone else. But the 
big bag dictator of the universe, uh, Chair Purper Mazur, ruler of the known universe, has done a gladiatorial tournament. And you've decided that you will enter this tournament of warriors because he's stolen the moon from your planet and you're going to ask him to give your moon back, the beautiful crystal moon that lit up your night sky. So what you do is you show up and you ask and everyone's like, lol, you're too small. Also, it's started already. You're late. And it turns out someone's been poisoned by some bad oysters and you get to take their place. So all the puzzles are basically you get a challenger for three rounds of combat, the preliminaries, semifinals, and then the actual uh, final battle. And you have to figure out what their weaknesses are and how you're going to, without being able to actually do anything combat related, how you're going to beat them in the arena. Something that's really nice and polished about this game and what makes it work so much better um, as a twine choice case game is you're a chameleon, you change color. Whenever you change color, your dialogue matches the color of your skin and everybody else's dialogue matches the color of their skin. So you can see if you're talking to an orange-skinned alien that it matches. So it's this really colorful environment and you kind of know whether or not you blend in. Obviously, changing colors is a huge part of the puzzle. And so it also helps you know how people are reacting to you based on what you're wearing. It reminds you, you know, it's almost like a color-coded inventory system in a way. But the game also has a huge inventory system where you can combine stuff, use things on different objects. She's done a ton of stuff to make it much easier to do the puzzle. And if you go to the walkthrough, uh, there are maps. So I didn't, you, it's one of those nice like four hint systems if you need it. Um, but really, I went to the walkthrough because I was too lazy to draw a map. So <laughs> if you're also lazy to draw a map or in a place you can't, you can go and just look at a map of the available space, which I found super helpful. But I think what I really loved about this game is that there's all this polish and all this interactivity, but it's this nice balance between silly puzzles. You know, you're interacting with a fortune teller or you're like stealing tarot cards or, you know, spray painting leaks. Sorry for a spoiler. (laughs) But I, I think all those little things. Also, you're trying to like go up against a dictator who might be enslaving humanity. <laughs> like All this kind of stuff is mixed in. So it's not just like a hitchhiker's guide or something that feels lightweight and disposable. At times, it can be a little on the nose, sure. Like sometimes that the dialogue can be very much like, I believe in this thing, which is a little earnest for my taste. But uh, it's still really delightful. And I think for me... Something I really appreciate is when someone has added just a little bit extra to the world. Like you can read books on the different races. There's even a choose your own adventure book inside the game where you can read a choose your own adventure game. Um, <laughs> like cool. one of the that's, books is a choose your own fun. adventure book yeah. written by like a, yeah, it's written by like a propaganda, like for a tourism board. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's all in a weird alien language. So you don't know what's going on. And of course, one of the answers to a puzzle is hidden in it. Um, because almost everything in this game is used towards a puzzle. They don't just give you things for your health. It's very red herrings light. That's good. How long did it take you to play this? Oh, it's only like, it, it's about two hours. I'd say it's probably an hour 45. Okay. It's big. That's the thing. Like the puzzles are pretty easy once you know what to do, but there are a lot of them. So there's, you have to, you start the game and then there's three rounds of combat And then there is kind of a post-combat epilogue. So it's a pretty sizable 
piece. Like even if you only spend 20, 30 minutes per section, it's going to take you a while to get through. But it is a puzzler that gets bigger. The puzzles get a little longer as you go because they get more complex. Um, And you also open new areas. Something I appreciated Mm. is they also, again, that color coding. If you go back to an area and there's someone you haven't met, they make them like orange yellow text on this black background so you know when there's something new it definitely draws your attention where you're supposed to go it feels like almost a beginner puzzler in that sense like they've made it super easy for you to follow along i feel like it's almost designed to be this transition piece between someone who does a lot of twine to someone doing a parser Interesting. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there's a, a ton of variety in this game. Yeah, and oh, I also yeah. have to say, I don't see a lot of like puzzle heavy games built in Twine. Um, I mean, it certainly supports that, but I bet it's a difficult thing to do or you'd see more of it. Um, yeah, especially with a full inventory where you can combine objects or use objects. It seems like a very, I didn't do a lot of using objects on things that weren't going to help the puzzle, but it seems very big in that sense. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Uh, I'd like to get it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you just want a lighthearted puzzler. And I thought I was going to get one from a parser this year. I was really surprised that it came in a a twine game. Yeah. Uh, Also, I had oysters for the first time last night. And uh, (laughs) I hope they weren't poisoned. I was hoping. I think it's just like the the chef bot says it's a shellfish allergy and he was framed. So I thought it was almost Mm. a drop dead gorgeous reference. Nice. Chef bot is very mad that he was accused of poisoning somebody. (laughs) Nate, uh, you you are you had oysters for the first time in your life. Yeah, you know, I just. Yeah, I'm sorry to let you skip past that. (laughs) No, this is the important stuff. So um, enough about the game that we're covering. Yes. Uh, yeah, Oyster yeah, I, coverage. I had had it like one time way back uh, when I was younger, when we were visiting like down in Florida somewhere. But I had, I like seafood, but I just, that had never been something that sounded appealing to me. And so Molly mm-hmm. and I went out for dinner last night and we were like, let's do it. Let's get, let's try them. Uh, it's good. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's, <laughs> I mean, only someone who lives like literally in the most like landlocked place in America. Yeah. Uh, you should be having oysters in St. Louis, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. They probably have to fly them in and everything. Yeah. I assume they're, we're not plucking them from the Mississippi river. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, that's also not where oysters come from. <laughs> I, I, yes, I know that. That was, <laughs> Justin gets so mad at me because I like refuse uh, to have oysters in in restaurants because I uh, grew up near like, like to me it's funeral food because we have it on like oyster boats and we scatter pe- people's ashes in my dad's family so like people always whoa, try to make jokes there's a like, lot to unpack yeah right that's a lot to unpack like, there that's a real weird <laughs> Wait, one um, yeah we just cut yeah. you off super hard because what <laughs> <laughs> well my uh, my dad's side of the family are all fishermen. So and they're uh, friends right. with people who have an oyster boat. So and that's like a boat that fits like, you know, 60 people. So yeah. it's it's customary for like when someone has their ashes scattered in the bay, you get on the oyster boat and like they dump the oyster they, they dump the ashes on one side of the boat and they take oysters up on the other side. So you just like sit on a boat and get sunburned and eat oysters and scatter ashes. Uh. So that's the only time I eat oysters. Is like immediately fresh and also in a kind of like wake situation. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's it's awesome. Not a that's sexy nice. food to me. Yeah, yeah. I get that. That's w- well, the, the thing about oysters is like I, I don't actually think they are a sexy food. I think I mean don't get me wrong, I enjoy oysters, but I think there's an element of just like like a entire like global wide level of like 
dare involved in, in yeah. oysters. Yeah. Like everyone who likes oysters on some level likes them because they're like, what? I like eating oysters. You don't. Yeah, of course I like eating oysters. Everybody likes eating I'm oysters. I'm sophisticated. We're sophisticated, right? It, they are objectively a weird thing to eat. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I cannot wait for the chapter break that's like Chuck in the arena. And then the next chapter is oysters. And then the next mm-hmm. one is <laughs> next game. <laughs> a digression on oysters for four and a half minutes. Yes. Well, so proceeding on from the oysters, um, I, I played a game called Remedial Witchcraft. And uh, this is another one where I am going to butcher the name. But I think in this case, it's it's one of those usernames that's deliberately unpronounceable. It's Dzgia. It's D-G-T-Z-I-E-A. Who knows how you're meant to pronounce that? Um, but uh, they've put together what I think is a really nice little, very restrained, but I think uh, clever uh, puzzle parser game. So this is a uh, this is a straight uh, parser, you know, Gluck's, uh, you know, informed type of deal. And uh, as you can guess from the title, Remedial Witchcraft, it is uh, it is yet another entry in what I think is actually a kind of a surprisingly crowded genre of interactive fiction puzzle games based around being an amateur magic person. There's quite a number of of games sort of in that little micro genre. Uh, But this one, I think, did a lot to kind of streamline things. So, uh, and I I think it works pretty well. Um, The game starts with you as a apprentice witch to like the witch of the woods. And she's on her way to some sort of important event. And uh, it begins with you trying to, she orders you to get her her crystal ball and tarot cards. And you have to search around the magic house for them. And once you bring them to her, uh, you cause some sort of a minor accident where you let some magical items out of a cabinet where they were being restrained. And most of the rest of the game is you trying to fix your error and catch these magical items that are that have you know found their way into various different spots around the house. Uh, and it's a pretty simple puzzle, or rather set of puzzles. Each one of those items kind of is its own little puzzle, um, but it's really nicely executed and streamlined. So a few things I really liked about it, it's uh, it's got this talking cat character that acts as sort of your built-in hint system. And as a character, the talking cat is really well done. So, um, you know, the, the cat behaves in cat-like ways. It has useful things to say, but it's not like overly chatty. And it felt like a character rather than just like a, a place to go to ask for hints, right? It has. Does its- your cat have a name? Oh, I, it does, and I've forgotten it. I think it's like um, Sigil or something like that. Apologies to the cat and the author. I don't remember the cat's name offhand, and I didn't make it's a okay. note of it. But uh, it's it's a it's a pretty good character. I thought it was uh, it was well executed, and um, I liked talking to the cat. And I would say to people playing this game, you should remember to talk to the cat if you're feeling stuck, uh, because there were a number of places where I uh, I got stuck and for whatever reason didn't think to go talk to the cat, consulted the walkthrough and realized that if I had talked to the cat, I would have gotten myself unstuck. So, um, so you know, good system there. And there were a few other things about it that I really thought were well done. I mean, I, I would say it's, it's not like... This is no um, uh, Hadean lands or anything. They've really done a lot to kind of restrain and simplify here, which made it a, a kind of a nice experience for the comp. Um, the navigation in the house is all north and south. Like it's like all the rooms are like in a row, which meant that I didn't need to build a map. I just sort of kind of kept it in my head. Uh, obviously, there's a little bit more than that. There's some things like going up onto a roof and and uh, going outside that didn't quite fit that, but it kept the navigation simple enough that I didn't have to worry about drawing maps or anything. 
It had a neat notebook feature where as a student, of course, you're constantly writing notes in your little magical notebook, which it does for you automatically. And at any time you could read the notebook and it'll basically tell you like uh, what you still have to do, as well as some notes about what you're trying to do. And they're written in a very kind of like student-y shorthand that felt like an actual student notebook that she was keeping notes in rather than just a, uh, you know, a part of the inventory or hint system. And, uh, it has a really nicely streamlined magic system. You know, I was worried when I realized, okay, this is going to involve some brewing of potions that that would become very complicated. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'll say that like it's it's a way of having you brew potions was uh, mostly about acquiring the information and materials and not like super complicated potion brewing. So again, it's not any sort of like Hadean lands level of like, you know, wait six turns until the brew turns green and then drain the beaker into the vat and then wait two more turns while it heats or something like that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really simple. There were a few places where I, 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 I kind of got stuck towards the ending. Um, there was a, a bit where I was just like completely lost as to what to do next. And I ended up checking the, uh, the walkthrough and the walkthrough is one of those walkthroughs that's presented basically as just a list of commands you can type in. Uh, it's not mm. like uh, it's not like hints. It's just like here's a straight list of commands you can type if you want to complete the game. And I did do them, and it involved and it it, you know, it caused me to find a resolution that I have absolutely no idea how I was supposed to know what to do there. Um, so there were some bits at the end there. I'm pretty sure I missed something. Um, I did eventually, you know, complete the game, but like there was definitely like some kind of gap in my understanding towards the end. And I'm not sure how I would have filled it. Um, it might, it might've been something where I should have talked to the cat more, who knows? Um, it, it has a kind of a clever, uh, system where you can, you frequently need to know more information about something, um, because you are an amateur witch and you can always go to the library and look things up. Um, and it has a nice mechanic for that, that I liked. Uh, but overall, I thought it was uh, pretty well done. And I, I will call out one specific thing that they did in it that is not a puzzle solution, but figuring this out was an element of an important puzzle. And I particularly want to praise it, but I also want to give folks the out in case you're about to play it and don't want this spoiled. Um, so I'm about to talk about a mechanic that is part of some of the puzzles um, that might be something that you'd consider a spoiler. So anyway, I, I really enjoyed the game. Um, it has this really clever... I just really, really enjoyed this one bit of that was part of several puzzles, which is that you have a teleportation wand and a also you have to find a teleportation rock. And the way that the system with it works is wherever you put the rock, if you wave the wand, you teleport to the rock. And so a number of places in the puzzles involved you doing things like throwing the rock up onto a roof in order to teleport up onto the roof. Or there was another sort of teleportation circle that you can use and you can't teleport people or animals, but you can teleport the rock. Um, and then you can follow the rock into places. I, I wasn't used as much as I would have liked because I actually thought that was one of my favorite bits in the game. I like I like that sort of like toss the rock over a wall and then wave the wand to go. Um, it, was a, it was a fun uh, element of the puzzles. So anyway, I would definitely recommend checking out Remedial Witchcraft. Um, it's uh, one of the shorter, more restrained uh, puzzle parser games I've uh uh, played in this style, and uh, I thought it did. You know, it was uh, the the like I said, the theme is not particularly going to set the world on fire. There's a lot of games that are kind of playing in this space, and um, you know, nothing about it was like earth shattering, but it was extremely well done, competent, and specifically restrained for one of these. So I liked it quite a bit. 
Yeah, well, I think there's some you know good life advice in there too because when I am feeling stuck, I often talk to my cat, and um, <laughs> absolutely, it helps. Yeah, Doctor Waddles has some deep insights sometimes <laughs> to share. I believe that <laughs> he he does look wise, <laughs> very large, very wise. Uh, he's not as large anymore. He's lost a ton of weight. Oh, but really? That's mostly yeah, but that's mostly because of the diabetes. Oh, so, poor, yeah. poor little kitty. It's, yeah. I mean, he's looking, you know, he's, now he's trim. Mm. Looking, you know, he's 14 or 15 now. So looking, looking trim, looking good. Yep. Uh, so anyway, I will talk about my game now. So I played. <laughs> <laughs> Master so of I, transitions, Nate. <laughs> hey, if you, if you liked interactive fiction, then you'll like interacting with us on our discord there <laughs> another another great that's, transition it's a little bit you. it's a little bit better uh okay so i played you are a winner and it it's an interesting game so i didn't actually catch the name was like a, a joke either until saying it out loud for the first time while we were planning for this game or planning for this episode you are a winner because the game you are a stands for undergraduate readiness assessment <laughs> and the game is a is set up as if you are someone who is who has to take this undergraduate readiness assessment which is from what i can tell is like analogous to a uh, act or sat style test so you're someone who has to take this test and you are going, uh, you are preparing yourself to do well on this test. And the game actually starts out really, really, um, like not as a joke, I guess. Like when I first started playing it, I, I couldn't tell if this was actually some sort of little tool someone had built in order to help themselves get ready for some sort of, uh, some sort of like college style test. Cause it starts out very, very, uh, written like administratively, you know, uh, and then it like slowly starts to expand because you start by uh, actually doing practice questions in the game. It has you do a series of English questions. So it like puts a poem up and you are to answer where there's opportunities for grammar or what a certain word means and things like that. And it's very straight up and down like yes or, or correct or incorrect questions. There's some math questions that are actually like math questions that you might need to use a calculator for. And then there are social studies questions, which are really like etiquette and like how to talk to people and like <laughs> and like what what being a nice person uh, like like how what what would a good person do in these situations? So it'll be like you are at a store and you find a woman's bag on the floor, you know, what do you do with it? And there's four different answers and they range from, you know, open it up and take everything inside to like give it to the store manager. Right. And you have to select which one. And then at the end of it is it, it tells you what you got correct and makes a job recommendation or like, you know, the career that will be, you you will be best at based off of your score. Uh, and I got novelist for my first oh. one, uh, which was funny because I also liked doing like 
that's such a, you know, because I got all the English ones right. I got like a math one wrong or something like that. So it, it landed on novelist. And that was when I first started to realize like, okay, this game is a little bit more like jokey anyway, because I really like suggesting someone as, someone's job that they would be good at is a novelist because it's assuming a lot of their creativity and not just that they're good at writing or not. But yes, I think you as a young person should go and write novels is a pretty lofty job uh, thing off of a test. But anyway, uh, so from there though, the game really opens up and you get this little map where all of a sudden you kind of realize you're, you're on this Island where everyone on the Island and all of the people and all the jobs and everything are all dedicated to getting students ready for this test. Or it's <laughs> like everyone that's there, I guess they're living their lives. Test prep it's... island? Yeah, basically test prep island. And you go to uh, you go to different stops where it's like the test cafe and you talk to someone there and you go to the uh, uh, URA bank and you learn from the bankers how compound interest works uh, and you go to a, a bar and you hang out with someone who is there and just talking to students about how to talk to people. And there's like a really funny bit where uh, the guy like shouts over to the bartender. He's like, Hey, any advice for the, for the kid on the social studies part? And he's like, yeah, give the bag to the manager, you know? So like <laughs> everyone is aware of this test and the questions that they're going to get, you know? So it, it it's really strange, and it it uh, they all these different people sort of give you advice. You go and talk to a journalist who teaches you about uh, the um, inverted pyramid style of writing that newspapers use, that you know journalists use. My fave. Uh, yeah, right. And uh, it's this weird balance between just like actually like all the stuff the banker tells you about compound interest is exactly how compound interest works right <laughs> okay uh so it is just like educational <laughs> i mean that's fun what's really funny about this is i mean this is by carter sand who last year did uh let's let's explore geography canadian commodities trader simulation exercise yep 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 you remember which it i played and, yep and like and i think he's just really interested in including factual information in his games well, that makes a lot of sense because this game has a ton of just straight up and down factual information and the tests that you take, while some of the jokes are silly, especially under the etiquette side, they are actually like, you know, math questions. Pro there's a well, whole I bit about probabilities. Yeah, I'm really glad because I could not play the Canadian game because I don't know small towns in Canada. So I was just like, I didn't know if it was a joke or not. And this time presumably you know whether or not you're supposed to steal from a lady so like yeah. you actually have a chance of playing this one so i uh, i always like to try to read some of the writing so you get an idea of the uh sort of the tone of it so this is you've gone to a city bookstore uh and so this is when you're getting you're learning about you're out to try to get better at the english and literature part of the test so of course you go to a bookstore so it so i'll just start reading now you head to the cash register to pay for your new book. The cashier asks what brings you uh, brings you to town, and you respond that you're studying for the URA. You ask if she has any advice for the English section. Well, she says, I never managed to do, to do too hot on my exams. That's kind of why I've been working as a cashier at a tiny bookstore for 30 years. But I heard the most important thing is to read critically. You have to read between the lines and look at not just what the author is directly telling you, 
But what they're telling you by omission, by omission, you ask? Yeah, like what they're telling you, not by telling you, you know, vocabulary is pretty important too. You resolve to take the cashier's advice to heart, lest you end up like she did. (laughs) (laughs) And then you click to continue. And that's, you know, that's the whole thing. And, And it all ends up on a, you take a final test and it gives you a job recommendation again. And then it says, you know, uh, you are now prepared to take the URA. Uh, so if you'd like to print this final page for uh, to have a record of your accomplishment, uh, you know, please do so. Good luck on the test and your career or something like that. Do you think that Carter Sand is trolling us with these? I don't know. I don't think so, because I, it what it reads to me is like someone who spent a lot of time doing prep work at some point in their life for one of mm-hmm. these tests, right? And you just feel like everything in your life is kind of like revolving around getting ready for the ACT or SAT or whatever. And it's like, what if there was a world where like everyone was just always helping you get prepared for a test? So much so that there's like an entire society on an island around helping students get ready for a test. Uh <laughs> And, and it, it's pretty funny. It's pretty light. Uh, I definitely recommend giving it a shot if you don't have like, you know, deep anxiety about taking tests. <laughs> okay. Pretty interesting. And um, yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder what we'll see next from Carter Sand because, you know, these are the only two games he has listed on uh, IFDB. Uh, it, is this is this specifically his aesthetic? Like he's he just makes like light parodies of educational material is that like <laughs> i mean there's a, definitely a uh, there's a that that is a thing that everyone has experienced in their life probably at this point is some sort of education you know video game or something so to kind of take that and twist it a little bit is yeah. pretty funny it's weird okay well thanks for <laughs> thanks for checking it out and letting <laughs> me know about it um laura yep. what's next so uh now for something completely different i guess uh Ferithia by Peter Eastman. So have you guys ever watched like a, a meditation video on YouTube? <laughs> like, uh, no. Like, cl- they, they used to put them on in like projectors in my office for like 15 minutes so that people would like not uh, kill themselves working. Um, <laughs> or they'd like shut down the the break room and like people would sit in chairs and they'd put on a meditation YouTube tape and they'd play music and they'd be like, you are in a calm place. They have it on airplanes too, so you like don't freak out and yell if you're afraid of flying. That I mean, so I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I just find the whole idea of like an office putting on a meditation video so that you know to to calm down their workers very 1984 or yep, and that's partly why I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's very it's very um obviously my my tidy little startup I work at now isn't doing that, but (laughs) it it does feel very like large, like something has gone wrong with capitalism. Like it's so earnest and well-meaning, but also like there's something off. Mm. So that's a vibe I get from this game. So it starts off and like this game, 
if you look at the preview, it's got like a fancy script font and um, it's got a tons of changes of layout and text formatting. They are constantly playing with fonts. They've got a lot of those time screens where a quote comes up and then it fades out and it creeps changing from black background to white background. So it's it's doing a lot of playing with different spaces. Like how can you create a different environment within a text-based game? And it starts off in this kind of meditative YouTube video type place where you're in a cave and it's talking to you about memory and it like you're talking about choices and it has text that feels very much like um, a little self-helpy, a little bit of this kind of um, very peaceful, calming language. Like it literally says, you can stay here as long as you want for an instant or an eternity. If you wish, you may consider this story to be ended. Stop here. Nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever hurt you. What you sacrifice into experience, you gain in timeless and unending peace. And by remaining here, you do not lose your power to choose. Anytime you wish, after an instant or after eternity, you may choose again and walk out into the light. That is the treasure you possess. Leave the cave, winner if you choose. So you're literally in a cave looking at shadows mm-hmm. on a wall. It is Plato's wall of the cave. You're in it. Right. Yeah, I was say- going to say, like, it sounds like a particular thing that... It sounds like a particular thing they're referencing. They don't say Play-Doh, but like you're definitely in the cave um, and you go to a new spot and they talk about phase transitions and they talk about this kind of, they're making this very peaceful world. Um, this place comes after an intro, like an intro that's like, what is um, Ferithia, where it's, it's kind of just like hard to parse. It's a real place. It says it's not afterlife. But you immediately are put into this place and there's music playing and it's white text on a black background. And then when you leave the cave and you start walking around, you'll suddenly get put to like a black environment. And then you're in what seems like the real world and you're digging through a desk and it keeps changing the mode and they'll put like different part markers up. They'll put different quotes up at one point, like you literally are running a lemonade stand and it's a lemonade stand simulator. And then you're back in this pastoral world and you're running around. So you, you keep going. It feels very much like um, like a short story anthology about a decision humanity made. Uh, and I'm trying very hard not to spoil it. But you keep going back and forth between this place you're exploring where your memory is not really working, but things seem familiar to maybe the real world, back to it, to this lemonade stand, back to it, back to another memory. Like it keeps going back. You don't know if you're different people. Um the whole game is probably 40 minutes. It says an hour. But it's got this like memory and philosophy and capitalism and utopia. It's got all these different things mixed up. So I really liked it. But it, I understand if people um, think it's a little shallow because it goes through things so quickly. It, it says something that's noticeable, but then it moves on. It doesn't like sit in a moment. It doesn't get super into philosophy, although it keeps referencing different philosophers. So I've talked around what this game is actually about. (laughs) So I'm going to spoil it if you're actually trying to figure out what this place is. So turns out you are a mathematician who might have come up with a thing that unlocks like cybernetics. And then the lemonade stand gets taken over by um, like a corporate lemonade stand that runs you out of business because it can simulate perfect worlds. And then they basically were like, what if the point of creating robots is so that we can create a perfect world and maximize happiness even if life isn't real anymore. Hmm. Okay. And it turns okay. out that 
Yeah. So like all these things going back and forth as you're kind of exploring the history of that decision. Um, and eventually like they talk about the moment you enter this world and it's because like there's been some kind of radiation you've been exposed to and you're getting uploaded to a computer basically to live in your perfect paradise based on like a, a screener you took about like what you would, what you think is important to you. So it's got so many ideas in 40 minutes that it feels like it, it could have been a two hour game. Um, but I completely believe that the future people who design the utopia we all put our brains in are going to just read a shit ton of philosophy books and then be like, I'm going to quote Milton. <laughs> now I'm going to quote Plato. And now you're going to run with some sheep and we're going to put some God imagery so everyone feels good. And like, I, I completely believe that this type of person exists. Um, it's just an interesting, like, so there's yeah. so many ideas in 40 minutes. It's a wonder- really interesting experience. I wonder if it's, you know, inspired at all by hit TV show, The Good Place, you know, which, <laughs> which way more subtly, it sounds like. Than, I feel than, like it's more like Caprica, that like one season Battlestar Galactica show that didn't really work. Like, I don't know. I, I do funny, really like, like things that like sort of explore the philosophy of the idea of like, you know, uh, people transitioning into being uh simulated or otherwise like you know uploaded to computers that kind of thing i i I like that that philosophy it's funny that they kind of bury the lead a little bit with because it sounds like it it starts off not really showing you its hand about what it's about yeah it definitely is like it, it says that it's not a real place and that it's a place humans made but it's not an afterlife but it doesn't explain that it's like your body is gone type thing. Um, It it doesn't explain if it's a healing method. It doesn't, it saves that till about 30 minutes in. Interesting. I I Um, like reading things like that. And like, I like, for example, like I really like Greg Egan's, a couple of books that are basically about this idea. Um, So I think if I had known that, that this was sort of about those ideas, I think I would have been more inclined to play it, but it's, uh, it's description on the page really doesn't sort of like show its hand at all. Um, no, it's it's trying to be mysterious. Yeah. And if it had said like, it's playing with form, it's playing with different modes. Like there's a lot of things in here that I think are appealing to me. I I think I would have like, if I just stayed in pastoral, pretty calm land, it probably would have only had about 10 minutes before I became sick of the writing. I think changing the world's, gives us a lot more, you know, heft and a lot more motion to it. Hmm. Um, I just feel like this is something that a lot of people aren't going to play because it is trying so hard to not reveal its big secret. But I don't think it really spoils it to say, like, this is about, like, the making of a world where your brains are in computer. But the, the game treats that like it is a revelation. Yeah, interesting. And I disagree. I think it's a tone poem. <laughs> I don't think it's, but... Um, yeah, it's much, I, much I more interesting, I think, to like author. talk about, okay, here's here's an idea that we can all kind of wrap our brains around and then expand from there into like, what are the implications of that? How would you go about designing that ethically? How would you go about designing that in a way that doesn't concentrate power or create yeah. uh, problems of I, there's all sorts of things to talk about with that idea yeah and they like touch on things like your lemonade stand goes under because like perfect robots are undercutting you because they can make the perfect lemonade um, for five cents and you your homemade stuff costs 20 cents and it's like wow I've, there's never been such good lemonade in the world for so cheap but I'm broke like there's a lot of that kind of like weird 
who is getting better. I don't know. I just feel like this game has a lot of thoughts and a lot of things to think about for a game that just, it just kind of bounces off a ton of ideas. Um, it's really interesting. I think it's going to get overlooked um, because it's not presenting itself as a super deep game. And also I know some people just hate auto timers where like yeah. a quote comes up for 30 seconds and then mm. fades. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You just gave it that short game bump. I did. Go out and play it. People sounds great. I'm really glad I played it. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you told me about it. I have I'm now, no now idea what to rate it. Actually, inclined to play it, and I had no idea that it would be my sort of thing. Yeah, I have no idea what to rate this, but I know I'm going to be thinking about it. And I, I took so many screenshots just because it kept doing interesting things I wanted to document. Hmm. Uh, well, the next game that I played uh, was called, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this title because it's, I think, uh, Scottish Gaelic. Um, it's. Uh, Ach is gay or Ach, Ach is, is guy or something like that. It's spelled like each uski. <laughs> um, it's E-A-C-H dash U-I-S-G-E. I'm not really sure how it's supposed to be pronounced. I'm basing this on some text on the Wikipedia page. And anyway, uh, it is Scottish Gaelic for water horse. And it's by uh, it's by Jack Colvin. Oh, those things. Yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, like as soon as I looked, I was like, what is that? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, those things, right? Um, <laughs> it's like a Kelpie, uh, which if you've heard that one, yeah. Um, so the uh, it's it's a choice script-based game. So I, you remember I talked a little bit about uh, choice script when we talked about Turando or Turndot, rather. Um, uh, choice script is interesting because Every page essentially offers you a choice or very frequent choices. And uh, it's the, I, it's, I like uh, choice-based games told with this particular tool pretty well. I think it's a, it's a nice uh, you know, interface and uh, you know, well-designed, uh, even though they all kind of look sort of samey. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of options for customization of like uh, text styling the way that there is in Twine. Uh, but anyway, I, I enjoyed that. And it's, uh, it's a Scottish folklore a tale with some sort of light horror elements. And I really liked it. Um, it's, uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but basically you're playing as a child and you get some nice options about like what your child, what the child that you're playing as is named and what their gender is um, right at the start. Um, but you, uh, you see a, uh, the, the person who delivers your milk, it seems like this takes place in like very rural past Scotland, and I'm not quite sure how far in the past, but far enough back that people just regard the uh, existence of things like Kelpies uh, as uh, a matter of fact. Uh, so if you're not familiar, there's a Scottish uh, sort of folkloric uh, monster, I guess, called the Kelpie, and a similar and related uh, monster that I wasn't familiar with and had to look up on Wikipedia called the uh, Akuski or whatever. I'm mispronouncing. Um, so the Kelpie is a, uh, horse that lives in the water and is mischievous or sometimes very dangerous to people. And the Akuski is its much more dangerous cousin that is, tends to, uh, carry people off or kill people basically. So the, the story begins with this girl seeing that the, the man, the farmer that delivers milk to her cottage uh, has a new and very, uh, very powerful looking horse uh, attached to his cart. 
Um, and, uh, you know, she's not allowed to touch it or, or interact with it. Um, but she's fascinated or she was a she for me. You can choose the gender of the child. Um, fascinated by this powerful horse. And it becomes obvious through the course of the story that it's not a normal horse. And I won't spoil anything further other than that it's uh, it's got multiple endings. You can choose your way through uh, many different ways that you decide you see the horse and what you think of the horse. And you get some options about, or you get, you get some nice backstory about the... Uh, your mother's uh, past interactions with Kelpies. And um, it's slightly spooky, but not really a very scary or horror tinge. I'm sure that actually there's, there's different options and there might be some more horrific stuff in some of the other branching paths. For me, it wasn't particularly scary, um, but it was interesting. And I liked, uh, I, I like stories about this style of folklore. I had never heard of this particular creature and uh, even though it's very related to Kelpies, which I had read about, and they're just interesting. So I, I think if you find that sort of folklore interesting, you'll probably enjoy this story. And I think it took me maybe about an hour to play. There's a spooky water horse in Yearwalk, yeah. isn't there? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think they're related, but um, I'm not sure if that was a Kelpie or they've got some specific Scandinavian variant. Hmm. Something about horses being in water just creeping out cultures all over the world <laughs> it's such a weird thing isn't it like i i mean you know i'm not gonna judge anybody's like folklore or no, whatever but i gotta say go that there. like the idea of like you know it'd be real weird if a horse went in a river it's like <laughs> horses don't go there wild yeah. those are our land those are our land things horses aren't boats yeah, it's very, very strange to me. But anyway, um, it's a pretty good story. I definitely recommend checking it out if you want a uh, a lightly spooky, uh, you know, folklore-oriented, uh, choice-based thing. And um, I had a good time with it. Awesome. Uh, I will talk about my next game, which is called Saint City Sinners by D. Gallagher. This is a game that uh, is very much going for a tone and a feel. It is a straight up comedy satire of the sort of hard boiled detective genre. Uh, I know it's funny. I feel like detective, like detective games and heist games are always all over IF comp. It feels like, you know, you're all it's interactive fiction works really well for trying to solve a mystery. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And so this game is you're doing that. You're playing a hard boiled detective who's trying to solve uh, a mystery it's trying to solve the murder of someone who is just always referred to as alive mayor Gunderson, um, or at least he was alive mayor Gunderson. Uh, and I thought it would be best to actually just kind of read some of this for you because this game is all about this sort of tone. And so I'll read the beginning part. This is right early. So it's not really much of a spoiler. And if you think this is funny, and this is your jam, then I definitely recommend playing this game. The muted patter of rain echoes softly through your body. The thick glass of the diner window seems to shield you from the torrents of the city. Only you know better. There's no such thing as a shield in this topsy-turvy world you live in. You gaze out upon the busy street, a hectic crisscross of headlights and umbrellas. Saint City always seemed to possess a wild freedom. The streets a bubbling cauldron of greatness and scum alike. The people here grew like flowers in an unmaintained garden, strangling each other for their share of sunlight. 
Indeed, in the city, it was a fine line between freedom and chaos, a line that only a select few can maintain. Are you one of these few? And then you can answer yes or no. If you answer yes, so that's kind of like the beginning of the game. If you answer yes, it's at the next pages. Yes, I am. You say aloud to an empty booth. <laughs> so he's just <laughs> he's just in, just to yeah, yourself. Just to yourself. Uh, yes, uh, says yes, I am. You say aloud to an empty booth. As Saint City's finest detective, you take a solemn pleasure in knowing that you are the only barrier between innocence and corruption. You look down at your perpetually clenched fist. Truth and justice. Scars cut. <laughs> scars cut through your skin like a cold wind on a Tuesday night. Saint City is a cruel mistress, you think. No matter how tough it gets, you can't help but come back for more. The waitress comes by, a classy broad with hair that stretches to the ceiling. On her shirt, you make out a sticker that reads, I love the 50s, which is the time that we will we live in currently. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get you anything else, sugar? She asks, eyes mysterious as a full moon. Then your options are ponder more analogies for your relationship with the city or order the check. <laughs> and you can tap the ponder more uh, analogies for your relationship with the city many, many times, uh, <laughs> which will ultimately which will ultimately lead to an ending if you keep pondering analogies about the city, uh, which, of course, I did. So the whole game is that. It, it is all just this ridiculous, like, take the hardball detective and stretch it as ridiculous as you can and solve a, solve a crime in that tone and in that world. Uh, it's very funny, and I've been enjoying it. Excellent. Awesome. Sounds like fun. Um, so the last game that I have to talk about in depth today is uh, Pop It by Bitter Corellia. And uh, this one took a little bit of doing to get to play because it's made using a, a tool called Quest or the Quest Parser, which doesn't have a local Mac install option. Uh, so I had to do it over on Windows. Um, but once I did that, I thought it was actually a really the first game I've played using that system. And I actually have to say, I, I really thought it was pretty neat. Um, so basically, it's a parser based. Well, before I get into the story, I'll talk just briefly about the the interface of it because I thought it was my first time interacting with a game that was built using the system. Um, Quest is a parser-based thing, but it does a lot of visual stuff to um, to assist. So, for example, on a little sidebar, you have buttons for navigating. It has a little auto map that appears at the top of the screen. So as you go from room to room, it adds little boxes to a very basic but totally serviceable map. Um, and it does things like give you persistent sidebar lists of all of the items you're carrying and all of the objects that you can interact with in every room. And you can type in a standard parser kind of way, um, but you can also, for most things, not everything that you want to do, uh, click on objects either in the text uh, or in the list on the sidebar and do things like inspect or use objects that are around you. Um, so I, I thought that was actually pretty neat. And um, I liked some of the interface ideas that Quest has and kind of wish that some of those would appear more in um, you know some of the more broadly used interactive fiction tools, particularly the auto map, even if it's like really basic. Having some kind of map um, uh, always helps me because I sometimes get muddled in just getting around a space. Um, so I, I thought that was quite good. Um, and even though I had some confusion, there's some things about the parser that it's a little stricter 
uh, than well than than things like um, inform based games that I've run into. Like it, it had some very particular ways of phrasing things that it did tell you in the text. Like okay, for example, there's a there's a tome, there's a book you need to look up information in, and uh, it was very particular that you can't just like look up or whatever. You have to ask tome about blank, which is a little silly when you're talking to a book. Uh, but uh, there's little quirks like that in it. But I thought it was totally playable. Anyway, all that aside, it's a really interesting, uh, I guess the easiest way to describe it is sort of like a horror take on on the ideas of something like Toy Story. You're, you're playing as a doll named Poppet that awakes in a house that was previously, you know, the house that she knew was full of light and life and a child to play with. And when she awakes, everything is very broken down, dingy, disheveled. There is some imagery in this game that might be distressing to people. So there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, a content warning, for example, that warns of, uh, um, harm to, or a, basically a dead animal appears in, in the game. Uh, actually a couple, if you count taxidermy. <laughs> um, but there's a, uh, you're, you're playing as this doll who has awakened and she's well aware that she's only really meant to be awake if there is a child to sort of breathe magic into her, right. To, to interact with her and be the, uh, be the animating force of the doll. And there's no child around. And so she's confused and starts exploring the house. And I won't spoil any of the details, but the reason that she is awake is quite weird and a bit distressing. Um, so it is this sort of like uh, dingy horror tinged, not particularly scary, but like horror tinged take on, on basically Toy Story, right? This house is, mm -hmm. is populated only by dead animals and disused toys. I mean, it's called Poppet. It's not called like cute, adorable doll. Right? Yeah. It's it's weird. Um, so I I really quite like it. If you have an easy way to play it, first of all, there is an online link. Like there, um, if you look at the description on the IF Comp page, uh, there's a way to go over to the official website for the Quest parser tool uh, where you can play this online in a browser. Um, but you have to create an account on their website in order to be able to save. And it seemed like a lot of folks were having trouble with the online side of this. So I would recommend downloading and playing it. Um, but you will need to do that on Windows because there doesn't seem to be a version of this parser or rather interpreter for um, uh, for Mac or Linux, just Windows. Uh, but once I got into it, I was quite in quite into it. There's a few other things about it that are that are kind of weird that I want to call out. Or not weird exactly. Um, it has it's it has some pretty involved puzzles, and I found myself having to consult its walkthrough several times. Uh, the walkthrough is presented pretty well. It's basically just given as like um, a list of potential problems you might encounter and gives you suggestions. And so I thought the walkthrough was was uh, was well done, and I definitely needed it uh, at a few points. Um, because there are, for example, some puzzles that involve, uh, you know, reading a book to get some instructions and then finding a bunch of objects around the house and assembling them into something and then being able to use it. And um, there are some sort of logic leaps that are involved in that process that are not immediately obvious for all of them, although some of them are quite well constructed. Um, but I think the characters in it are quite good. You encounter a few other um, toys along the way, uh, and I thought they were they're well done. Um, you know, not super large amounts of dialogue or anything, but 
Um, I I like you know I just watched Toy Story four uh, for the first time pretty recently here, and I've always thought that the Toy Story movies uh, present this world that is you know beautiful in one way right you know this idea that these that you know children are magic and that toys are part of that magic and it's very charming and yet there's always this sort of dark current below that of like and sometimes toy story does a good job of of touching on that without going full creepy right it's creepy when you think about yeah. it but not when you're watching the movie right yeah yeah, yeah kind of i mean toy story 3 has some very dramatic uh, and potentially terrifying moments about what can happen to something that gets thrown away, especially if it's alive. Right. Uh, and also, um, Toy Story 4 posits a horrific concept to me, at least, that if everything that a kid even imagines is a toy, all of a sudden has like a gain life. Gain sentience. And, yeah. Gain sentience. Horrifying and like a soul, if you think about right? it. Yeah, everything. There's like, and, and it had that horrible, like, <laughs> I don't want to spoil Terrifying Toy Story Forky, Four, but yeah. Forky is Forky's whole deal is horrifying if you think about it. That's what, it it's that's what almost I'm like a, it was almost like I was born to live in hell and like wants to commit suicide. Essentially. Yeah, it's like kill, kill me, kill throw me, me in the trash. Yeah. I belong as yeah. trash. It's like horrifying if you think about it. So there's always been this. He's basically saying things from Twitter, but he's actually a real right. Thing. I know, and so there's always been this undercurrent of a certain sense of body horror and sort of existential dread sort of inherent in the ideas of Toy Story. And I was pleased to see those played with uh, in a game. Um, So it's not perfect, but I think it's really worth it for that. Um, And I'd like to see more things play on this space uh, because it's, I don't know, it just, it, it, that that part of it quite appealed to me. The premise and and some of the characters really appealed to me. So um, uh, I definitely recommend checking this out. So before we completely wrap up, um, we wanted to quickly mention a few other games that we had played either a little bit or, uh, you know, just touched on, uh, maybe didn't complete, but wanted to mention something about. Laura, you had a few listed out here. Uh, what's uh, what's interesting? So when I was listening to your episode uh, that I missed, I, everyone's talking about like Majora's Mask and kind of fan fiction stuff. So I played Winter Break at Hogwarts uh, by Brian Davies because I am the person who has read a lot of fan fiction back in the day. Uh, and it reminded me a lot of people who reconstruct buildings in Minecraft. Like someone once made a entire, you know, Northwestern campus of my, my, and you could fly around and look at it, but it's that in a parser and it's Hogwarts. So it's enormous. Is there like a story to this or is it just an exercise in sort of recreating a space in the parser? There is a mystery to solve, but most of the game, I played about 30, 35 minutes of it. Most of the game I've seen so far is really wandering around the, the castle. Um, going to different rooms, seeing what's there, kind of hanging out in Hogwarts, including, for example, the first thing you get to do is they you're recapping your time and they're like, it seems like forever since you're, you know, four months ago you were sorted into and then it's like choose your house and you type your house in hmm. and you wake up and start the day in whatever common room you have chosen in your dorm. So I typed in Ravenclaw, so I was in the airy. I really wish I'd typed in Slytherin because I always want to know what games do when you pick the kind of bad 
version of the houses. Mm. I know Slytherin isn't bad. But I was like, gonna say you just. Oh my god! You opened a can oh, of worms. We're gonna get yeah, a lot of feedback. No, no, no. That's yeah. exactly what I mean. Like, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like if if a if a game is like the bad tilting one, yeah. like the I I know Slytherins aren't bad. I'm not sure J.K. Rowling does. Anyway, <laughs> um, see, I'm the right person to play this game. Anyway, if you just like wander around Hogwarts, there is a mystery. Um, it seems like it's going to be way more than two two hours, just because they've spent so much time making a detailed version. Like you can go into a Muggle Studies classroom, which is not in the books. That's like you funny. could just because they know that that class is taught in Hogwarts, so they're like, we need a room for it. Um, it's just enormous, and um, I was initially scared off because there's literally a typo in the second sentence of the game. <laughs> Have and not a good but, look. Not a good look. From then on, it seemed pretty polished. There are a couple times when you, like, the synonyms aren't really set up in the parser. Like, you have to type exactly what they say. Mm. Um, I think they can polish it up a little more, but they definitely went for breadth. And if you want to just wander around Hogwarts, I mean, I could think of much worse ways to spend my time than wandering around Hogwarts. For sure, for sure. (laughs) It's a really fun thing to do. Um, And the other one I, I played just a half hour of was Vile... Very vile fairy file by Billy Bowling because I was I tried to play language arts and had some problems. Uh, it's not really meant to play on Macs, and I tried to do it anyway, even though I was told not to. So that that's language arts is one I would like to play. I just need to pick another computer. But very vile fairy file is a similar word puzzle based game. Um, the trick is it's a rhyming one, so it's very light on the setup, almost abrupt. That you are at a fall fest and they say sentences like you managed to ball best well the best of anyone I've seen today so you get a chance at a tall test what sort of test the Paul pest of crawl crest nice that's and fun you're the one to recover the very vile fairy file from the crimes crew times two are you ready do you guys watch Bojack Horseman I do you know they do those like they like clearly try to make those like super long alliter- alliterative sentences. That's mm-hmm. what it reminds me of. That's awesome. It's like that the game, and and the, yeah. you get this thing, um, uh, elite learner. Everything has double names, and and the idea is that you get this like spectrum with a needle, and you try to figure out how to transform words into another with a combination of rhyming and spelling changes. Uh, I figured out the words I was supposed to transform for the first puzzle, but I couldn't figure out how to use the device. So I wandered around for 20 minutes with the answer, trying to figure out what combo of things to press. And that's something that's nowhere in the walkthrough. It was nowhere in other people's reviews. And I really wanted like, you're in the wet wood. And it's like, if only you could be better. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to transform wet wood into get good. (laughs) Okay. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And I literally wandered around the game for 20 minutes and then I just typed in get good and it was like your score went up one point. And that's kind of what I feel about this puzzle is like I think there's – it didn't want to handhold on the puzzles but I feel like the mechanics – like so much time went into puzzles and I think the puzzles are really interesting Maybe I'm just like an N of one, but I really wanted a little more flavor of how to use the device, how to like, because I didn't know I was supposed to just type in the answer because that normally isn't how you do parsers. You normally 
do something like use an object, flip a switch, and then it transforms. Yeah, normally like, you'd get something like there is no object named good here. <laughs> exactly. Like I didn't know I just was supposed to type in the answer. So it, it's I, I think now that I know how to do it, I, I think I'm gonna I played a couple more puzzles afterwards and they were more fun. But I did have a huge kind of I, I think it's a big hiccup that needs to be mentioned on a puzzle game when you have the answer in mind and you can't figure out how to do it. Mm, yeah. That's interesting, though. Yeah, I think I was frustrated over that, and I didn't want to bring that into the rest of the game, so I will revisit it now. It's clearly got tons of clever puzzles, especially if you like rhymes. Um, but just know to type in the answer. <laughs> like, So um, I was very surprised at that. So I just want to mention, I think if you know that, you'll probably have a lot more enjoyment out of the puzzle. And I, I do want to revisit... Um, I do not want to score as is. I want to go back now that I know the quote-unquote trick. Mm. I had a couple of games I wanted to quickly mention that I, I had played, um, and they're a bit of a matched pair. Um, so first was that I played and sort of bounced off of uh, Enceladus uh, by Rob Sherwin. And so I don't want to talk too much about it because I didn't get that far into it or complete it. Um, it's a... it's. It's got a great setup, which is that you're on a spaceship and there's a werewolf loose. Why? Uh, well, I didn't get far enough to, f- to tell that. Um, but uh, <laughs> there there is a werewolf loose on the spaceship. It's uh, it's done in a, a, a parser, uh, like a, I think it's Hugo, uh, that allows for music. And so it's got full music throughout that changes depending on where you are and what's going on, which I thought was pretty nice. Um, mm. But the humor wasn't really landing for me. Uh, I don't, I didn't save... I played this a little while ago and I didn't save any examples. So you'll sort of have to take my word for it that I just whatever something about the humor wasn't landing for me. And I kind of uh, decided, well, maybe I'll come back to this. And I, I didn't. So uh, apologies to to uh, to Rob for not uh, getting super far into his game. I know that uh, his work is pretty well regarded. He did a game a while back that's per- that was uh, really well thought of called Crypto Zookeeper uh, that I've heard has come up a number of times. And I like the concept quite a bit, you know, uh, dealing with a werewolf on a spaceship is a fun idea. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't quite get that far in it. Uh, but the reason that I played that was prior to that, I had played a game called meeting Rob Sherwin by Jizzaboz. And I, so the name Rob Sherwin didn't ring a bell in my head. I'd heard of crypto zookeeper a while back, but I didn't instantly know who Rob Sherwin was. Um, and so, and I really just played meeting Rob Sherwin by Jizzaboz because it, had a picture of the Denver airport on the top and I live currently in Denver and uh, <laughs> uh, apparently it takes place in Denver. I think Rob Sherwin lives in Denver. Um, and the story of the game, it's basically, it's a, it's done in a parser format, but it's a, uh, it's basically a diary entry or like almost, you know, it's like very self, it's like a, a, a story about, uh, it's very slice of life the story about attending Rob Sherwin's wedding. Uh, and I, so weird. I believe it's like, like autobiographical essentially. And uh, Jizzaboz was invited to Rob Sherwin's wedding. I'm assuming that the contents of the game are factual because it really seems like it's sort of autobiographical. Um, and it's, it does a really good job of capturing the sort of awkward feeling of some of the uh, some of the awkward feelings of being a traveling when you're not used to traveling and the feeling of meeting online acquaintances in person uh, and the sort of joy and also awkwardness of that 
um, and also the uh, the difficulties of meeting new people at a large gathering that is mixed between people who know each other and people who don't. Um, so it's it's a very slice of life, um, and it does I think a pretty good job of. Uh, telling that story within the format of the parser. So there's there's not really much that you'd call a puzzle in this. You know, there's there's moments that you need to do things like go and bug the person at who at the hotel desk to give you shampoo because there was none in your room. That kind of thing. <laughs> um, very slice of life. Um, but I just thought it was a very interesting thing to to play. I, I I don't know how I feel about it because I felt like it was sort of so personal and was so. Um, uh, about the scene, you know, we we see this a lot with IF Comp. Is that like there's a lot of games in the comp that are references to other games that have come in the comp before, or that are sort of part of the interactive fiction community and have a certain sort of in jokeness to them, or something like that. This isn't really an in joke. I I don't know. It, it it's it's definitely referential in that it is about a member of the interactive fiction community, and it's about an event in the interactive fiction community specifically. So it is a kind of an odd bird, but um, I actually quite liked it because it did really, I thought, capture that feeling that it was trying to go for there uh, pretty well. And it's definitely a feeling that I've had before. If you if you've ever you know met your online friends offline for the first time, uh, you might have this feeling. Um, so I don't know. I recommend checking out uh, Meeting Rob Sherwin by Jizzaboz. And particularly if you are the sort of person who's like aware of who Rob Sherwin is, I wasn't when I went into playing this. Uh, so that kind of was a confusing moment for me when I realized that this was like an autobiographical thing about one of the other authors in the comp. Um, but it was neat. Um, so I'm, I, uh, I recommend checking both of these out. I think Enceladus will probably land better comedically for some other folks than it did for me. Um, and meeting Rob Sherwin was an extremely odd thing, but, uh, also I thought pretty worth checking out. No, an odd good time is always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a few other games that I've had on my list that I really want to play before the close of the comp and haven't had time to yet. I thought I would just very quickly list those in case people are, are uh, saying, Hey, why didn't you play X? Um, like, uh, I haven't, I don't think any of us have played pirates by Robin Johnson yet. Yeah, we really should. Like pirate ship is one that I, I was not in the mood at the time for pirate language. And I, I know I will be before the end of the comp. But I, I love Detective Land, so that's I gotta play that before it wraps. Yeah, and um, his stuff always—it's uh, very involving for me, and sometimes takes a little while. So I kept thinking, oh, I'll get around to playing that when I have some time, and I just hadn't had time to to sit down and do it yet. But I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, I really liked uh, Cannery Vale last year, so I'm looking forward to checking out Robot Sex Party Murder by Hannon Andresik. Uh, even though, from what I understand, it's extremely explicit. It's about. Uh, uh, sex robots and uh, involves pretty, I would say, all pornographic um, depictions of interacting with sex robots. Um, I'm still curious about it, and it does apparently have um, uh, settings for how uh, in depth it, you want it to go on that stuff. But from what I'm told, even it's uh, even if it's even its tame setting is uh, you know a little bit lurid. So be aware, but I'm I'm still really looking forward to checking that out because I liked Canaryville quite a bit. Um, anybody have anything else on their list that they know they want to check out before the close of the comp? I believe that Shane started playing Skybreak and had good things to say about it. Uh, he wasn't able to come because he's 
traveling, but I think that I, I think I'll definitely take another look at that one as well. Yeah. And I know there's a ton of other stuff we've missed on the list. If there's a game on the list that we didn't cover and that you think is particularly good in the comp, I definitely want to hit those things. So a great way to let us know would be to join our discord and talk to us about it there. Um, but if not that, of course, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on uh, the short uh, Lots of ways to get in touch with us. And so we would love to hear about games that you think we ought to check out before we get to the point where we're going to be putting our votes in. Um, the comp is coming to a close on the 15th, and uh, I am hoping to play a few more games before then, uh, before I have to put my votes in. So IF Comp, of course, has made us very happy this year, as it does every year. Uh, but as listeners to this show will know, we like to close our show with a segment we call What's Making Us Happy This Week. And so, Laura, what's making you happy this week? So I'm a firm believer that you need to be watching different kinds of TV shows. And I've been watching a lot of British panel shows and Secession, but um, finished Taskmaster, which is kind of a loud, noisy comedy. And Secession uh, is stressful. Uh, it's very good and very, very stressful because bad rich people are doing bad things to each other. And I needed something that was going to be a, a good unwinding show. And a lot of sitcoms were you know, kind of wrapping up for their list. So... Uh, my husband and I have decided we're going to start watching uh, Star Trek TNG, Ooh. but in a very odd way, <laughs> we looked at doing specific lists that people had recommended, and then we decided, no, we're just going to like either bounce between episodes we know are good or the third season, and then in between, go back and watch a terrible show from the first season. Uh, um, you know, I just, because I'm slowly working my way through the entire Star Trek catalog. So while yeah, I am on voice. Is a terrible decision, Nate? Because we've no. only watched two episodes in the first season so far. And it's well, been fun. Yeah. So um, The Next Generation is generally, con is pretty much unanimously considered the best, uh, the best Star Trek show. And I, so far for my experience, that has held true, though I, have really enjoyed, or I really enjoyed Deep Space Nine, and I am enjoying Voyager. Uh, but the next generation is the most consistently good. Uh, there are definitely clunkers all throughout. Don't get me wrong, um, but mm -hmm. it is it is good. Uh, the first season is is bad though. That, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where why the we're uh, watching like t it, it, we're figuring out the ratio, but we think yeah. we're going to do like too good and then go back and watch just like a bad episode. Yeah, it, it's where the uh phrase grew a, grew its beard came from. It's the lesser known version of Jump the Shark, which is when a show goes from bad to good instead of mm. good to bad. Uh so at, at the beginning of the second season, Riker comes back with a full beard and the show is also considerably better starting at the second season. Mm. So the show Samson like beard, it brought power to the enterprise. It did. It really did. Uh, yeah. I would love to talk more next generation with you at some point, but yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It, it's been fun. Cause I've only seen like episodes taken completely out of context in like classroom settings, like sure, in a yeah. linguistics class, watching the Dharmic Delad episode or so, or like in a episode on capital punishment or torture, watching the, the three lights episode. So I've, I've seen a lot of the, famous ones but not in the context of the show so it's been it's a really good show to kind of watch before bed because it's yeah. well written but it's not going to energize you too much mm. that's that's what i i watch it just like all the, that's how i've been watching all of this star trek because it's just been like late at night when i'm just like mm -hmm. relaxing or whatever i also would recommend going back and watching the original series because while it is a 60s campy 
you know, mess, it is also very, it's way better than I expected it to be. Like, there's actually good sci-fi stories in it, so. Yeah, uh, this came from us asking, should we watch Star Trek Discovery? And it's like, let's just let's start with TNG. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, why not, right? Yeah, so that's, well, that was kind of my thought process. Was like, yeah, I should, I should watch Star Trek. I've never really, uh, you know, I've never really watched a lot of it. And then, of course, my stupid, brain i'm like well that means i should watch every single episode that's ever existed you know and now i'm 400 something episodes into star trek so wow yeah Yeah. it's been fun though yeah that's awesome we're like six in so yeah (laughs) i I did the uh the cliff notes version i found a really good list of like hey if you want to experience the best bits of the next generation now i I watched a lot of tng back in in the day i had a cousin who was completely obsessed with it and had a bunch of tapes and I watched a bunch of her stuff then, but I didn't remember a lot of the the really good bits. And so I uh, I went and watched, I think it was something like, here are the best 40 episodes if you just want to watch that. And I did that. And then I've been thinking for a while about going back and like watching the whole thing from the beginning just to to, to give that a shot. But uh, Laura, I like your approach. So I may give that a shot myself. Yeah. Just sort of start with season three and go back and watch the early stuff as as uh, palate cleansers between things. Good idea. They're like, it's kind of also like watching a baby to be like, it's like hanging out with a three-year-old and then going back and watching a tape of them shitting themselves. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. Which we all love doing of uh, course that's what you do as parents right yeah I, yeah i like watching all of the show because even if, if you like the characters then even like the worst episodes are somewhat enjoyable um except for the last episode of season two of star trek the next generation it might be two or three it's a straight up clip show because of a writer <laughs> strike that happened other than we'll that, that episode <laughs> yeah it's it's a mess the star trek normally makes their last episodes of a season like a big thing and instead this was a clip show like a, a nice. big 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 time clip show <laughs> it was bad well uh, nate apart from continuing to watch all of the star trek what's making you happy this week yeah um so we've talked about this game on the discord a lot i don't know if it's been mentioned on the show yet uh but i've been playing a lot of grindstone mm, me too on, uh via apple it's arcade excellent. and yeah it's become my sort of go-to uh, you know, I just have 10 minutes and I want to play a game real quick on my phone. Um, it's a, I don't know how you would describe the game or as far as the puzzle mechanic goes. I know Lori, it's you, it is a, uh, it is very much like my beloved dungeon raid. Yeah. Um, it's a, you have a grid and you can, uh, connect anything, uh, anything of a certain color. In this case, it's creatures, uh, but you don't you can't just connect um, side to side or up and down. You can also connect diagonally. But what this one has fun is it adds a ton of combat to it. So you're like slicing up things and killing them. Yeah, it's super polished. It's just top to bottom. Every little animation is great. It uh, it grows really well, adding new um, like new types of creatures, new types of attacks and sorts of things uh, while always really keeping each individual stage or puzzle or level pretty bite size, so it's very manageable. And then even if you do have to close your phone for whatever reason, you know, it's like, oh no, I have to do that that puzzle again or that stage again, but you're always just sort of repeating the same game anyway, so it doesn't feel that dramatic to to die or to start over or to lose your progress in, in a particular stage. So uh, it's been really, really good for on the phone. So yeah. definitely recommend it. Yeah, I've been really enjoying that one too. Um, I guess the thing that I was going to mention, I was a little torn between two different things, so I'm going to kind of combine them. Um, 
Uh, and part of it is Apple Arcade related. So I'll start with that. Um, I have been really, really enjoying what's been making me happy this week. Two things. Uh, one is that I have finally started actually using the new uh, Bluetooth controller support that's now built into iOS 13. Um, and I found that, and you know, that, that was motivated partly because I'm subscribed to Apple Arcade and a number of those games are supporting that. Um, and also uh, Game Club has started supporting that. So I've been playing some Minigore, uh, which is an old iPhone game that I liked quite a lot back in the day and now supports controllers and makes the game a lot more fun. Um, and uh, so it's a twin stick shooter. I didn't pay Reagan to say that. No, indeed. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, maybe I, you I, should have. Well, <laughs> maybe I should have. You should uh, but yeah, no, that's been really fun. I'm really enjoying that. And I bought a clip to attach my phone to the uh, PlayStation uh, 4 controller. Uh, I'll just put out a call to listeners. Listeners, if you have ever bought a clip for the PlayStation 4 to a uh, controller to attach a phone to it, and it is not crap, please let me know specifically which one you bought. Because I did a lot of shopping and all of the ones I could find online were basically crap. Um, I bought one that seemed like the least crap. And while it certainly is working, it is definitely going to break and I'm going to need to replace it with one that is less crap. So please let me know if there is a good one of those. I'm willing to pay real money for it. Uh, but anyway, the that controller support has been really uh, nice. And the other thing that made me very happy this week is the new AirPods Pro. So I'm going to kind of combine these two uh, under like, hey, Bluetooth is good now. They they <laughs> started supporting, uh, on iOS anyway, they started supporting those controllers. They have added a bunch of new options to like Control Center to let you manage your Bluetooth devices more easily. And that's been a big plus. The AirPods Pro are so nice. I had been waiting so long to get that nice Bluetooth headphone experience without like the, the original AirPods didn't really work for me because of their shape, but these things are perfect. They are just so nice. I love them. And, um, suddenly I'm like sitting here, you know, editing a podcast on my iPad with my Apple pencil and my, my, uh, AirPods pro, and then switching over and playing uh, manifold garden with a, with a, a dual shock four on my iPhone. It's like, wow, Hey, Apple's finally got the, the Bluetooth thing down now. Uh, many yeah, of the things that Apple I'd did. Apple did pay us for this. Yes. So yes, this did. is a paid for. <laughs> yeah. But like, there's so much that's improved at least, you know, I don't know if you can call like buying a $250 pair of headphones, a huge improvement, but they, they are good. And I've had a lot of fun with all of those things recently. And I was like, wow, okay. Progress. This is nice. So that's, what's been making me happy this week. So listeners, you have, of course, have also been making me happy this week. Thank you so much for listening to The Short Game. Uh, we appreciate all of our listeners. Uh, if you just join us for our IFCOMP coverage every year, we always appreciate you. But of course, please consider sticking around because we, uh, we cover a lot of uh, really interesting games that I think would be appealing to the interactive fiction community. We cover I uh, IF outside of the comp season, but we also cover lots of small games that can uh, particularly new stuff, indie stuff, things that will uh, be interesting to people who are interested in uh, narrative in games. And we cover that sort of stuff all year round. So please stick around. Uh, and if you haven't, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash the short game uh, where we are 
overjoyed to receive any support that you want to give us. Uh, and if you are supporting us at any level, you get access to our Discord where we all chat about games and it's a great place to hang out on the internet. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Or our show, of course, is on Twitter at underscore short game and on the web at www.theshortgame.net. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. And thank you. Oh, and one last final programming note. I probably won't be on the show next week because I will be in the process of moving. So uh, next week you'll be getting an episode with, I think, just Laura and Nate because Shane will be in India and Reagan will be on the road moving. It's the dream team, baby. Yeah. Here we go. They're letting us run the asylum. Uh, yes. Yeah, here we go. I, we don't even know what we're doing yet. So if you have ideas, uh, <laughs> do at us. Uh, and we will uh, we'll find something fun. You guys will figure it out, and I'm really looking forward to listening to that episode. And uh, thank you, listeners, and uh, Nate and Laura, for joining me on this episode of The Short Game. <laughs>